Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and provide a foundation for understanding it, whether you're actually considering a procedure or you're just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and in this season number four, you'll find a new approach, including interviews and covering a wide variety of subjects. But after you listen to this episode, I encourage you to go back and really explore the previous seasons as they are full of valuable information. You get to pick and choose what to learn about next. Season one covers common aesthetic or cosmetic surgery topics and skincare, while season two explains reconstructive surgery topics. Then season three goes over general questions about plastic surgery. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and opinion, as well as those of any guest interviewed. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a formal consultation with your physician. So stay tuned for this interesting journey we'll take together in the ever-expanding world of plastic surgery. Let's go. One of the biggest concerns patients sometimes have about undergoing a plastic surgery procedure, or perhaps even a roadblock to signing up for a surgery, is the thought of a general anesthetic. Now, don't get me wrong, general anesthesia, meaning being all the way asleep with a breathing tube in place, is a wonderful tool for providing anesthesia, particularly for bigger procedures. But many people don't like the idea of it. They also may not like the idea of going to another facility for their procedure. So what if their procedure could be done in the office? Sounds great, but natural questions arise. Is it realistically possible? What type of anesthesia would be used? Which procedures are best suited for an in-office location, and is it safe? These questions and more are answered by my guest today, Dr. Curtis Wong, who weighs in from California. Take a listen to what he has to say. Well, I'd like to introduce my guest today, Dr. Curtis Wong. Dr. Wong graduated from the University of Colorado and has been in private practice since 1992 in Northern California. He's a great surgeon and a great friend whom I've known for years. Welcome, Dr. Wong. Curtis, how are you? Thanks for having me, Regina. Good to have you here. Well, as we begin, would you please tell us what the scope of your practice looks like these days? Well, it's converted to a 100% cosmetic practice over the past seven to eight years. So it's the place where most plastic surgeons want to be at in their careers. It's also evolving more towards an older population because there's a new person in town who does a lot of social media advertising. Ah. And so he's getting a lot of young people and I'm getting more and more facelifts and mommy makeovers now. And do you think some of those patients that you get, you know, it's still a good word of mouth network, not necessarily social media? I'm convinced of word of mouth as being the most effective way of getting your name out there. In smaller towns like mine, reputation matters a lot. All right. Well, let's start our conversation on the topic of which plastic surgery procedures can be done in the office by discussing all the basic location options for various procedures or surgeries to take place. Would you mind going over these and help explain the difference? Surgeries can be done from operating rooms in the hospital to outpatient surgery centers to office-based accredited facilities, and finally into a procedure room in an office. And what does accredited mean? Accredited to me means that they've been certified or evaluated by the state 
or some other licensing agency that at least um, gives them validity in their existence that they're following the rules and regulations that are set forth by the governing bodies. Yes, for good safety reasons. And I just want to distinguish an outpatient surgery center versus an office accredited operating room. The outpatient surgery center, a lot of different surgeons can bring their cases there, but an office-based procedure is just that particular surgeon or their particular practice partners will do their cases there. That's correct. The office-based accredited facility is only for the uh, surgeon who owns it or for the group that owns that particular facility, whereas surgery centers are open to pretty much anyone in the community who qualifies for their staff. Got it. Yeah. And in the past, we think decades ago, procedures were traditionally done in the operating room in a hospital, typically. What are the features or amenities that have been thought to make the procedure perhaps easier or safer in that type of a location? In other words, traditionally, why were procedures done in that type of setting? Well, in the hospitals, the ORs had a full staff. You had nurses, you had the anesthesiologists, you had everything you needed in case something went wrong. And Mm -hmm. the nice thing about being in the hospital is that if something happened in your procedure, they could always be admitted to the hospital as you spend the night. Or if it was a procedure that required an inpatient stay, it was just part of their process of starting their stay through the operating room, then spending the next few days in the hospital recovering. Then what do you think might be some reasons that many surgeons have wanted to shift a good number of procedures to being performed in the office, you know, doing bigger procedures in the office rather than an operating room in a hospital? Well, the reasons mostly for shifting away from the hospital operating room was mostly for costs and also for some conveniences for the surgeons. Uh, Mm -hmm. Scheduling was often easier in a surgery center, or it's the easiest if you own your own facility in your office. It allowed the surgeon to utilize their facility as best possible. Costs are certainly less. You have less employees, less need for high-end equipment that the hospital has. And also some patients just prefer not going to the hospital. Hospitals Mm -hmm. also are the culture dish of all kinds of bad bacteria. So, you know, if you Ah. want to avoid the worst things and go into outpatient surgery centers or office-based facilities, they're certainly safer in that regard. Yeah, in terms of risk of infection and things like that. And you mentioned convenience for the surgeon, but probably convenience for the patients as well, not having to go through the process of checking into a big hospital and going through all that paperwork when they've already been connected with their surgeon in the office in terms of administrative paperwork and that kind of stuff. So if you can eliminate that additional layer, it's nicer for the patient too, I would imagine. It always is. Everything is lessened. The amount of time they spend checking in, the amount of time they spend getting to the facility. And it's just nice that they don't have to deal with the exposure in a hospital where you see all these other people that you may not want to see. Hey, that's a good point. What about, as a surgeon, what about the speed and convenience of the procedure itself when you do this in the office setting 
versus do this in an operating room in a hospital? Do you think that things are a little more streamlined? You've got, you know, a smaller staff that really know your routine and you can really accomplish a lot more in a quicker time period and also turning over from one case to the next? A lot of it just comes down to how much control you have over everything. And when you're in an outpatient surgery center or office-based facility, they're so much more efficient. You know, in hospitals, it's common to have an hour turnover time between the end of one case and the start of the next, whereas in surgery centers, they usually get it down to half an hour or less. As far as the surgeon's time, you know, the surgeon still takes the same amount of time, whether it's done in the hospital or the outpatient facility, or at least they should. It shouldn't make any difference on how fast the surgeon is. But it's nice to have your own crew because they know exactly what you need and what you're going to do. So they can anticipate everything that you have. And I would imagine, as you said, that does reduce costs as well. So Considerably, yep. Yeah. Well, you know, as we even talk about transitioning from surgeries in an outpatient surgery to surgeries in the office, what developments have occurred or become available to make it easier for surgeons to do more involved procedures in the office? Well, surgeons, over time, as they get more and more experience, they become very comfortable doing certain things in the office. A lot of it has to do with how well they've learned to administer local anesthetics and doing blocks. A block is where you inject a local anesthetic specifically into the pathway or into a nerve to give a regional anesthetic from just one injection. Because the whole distribution of that nerve is affected by getting it at its point of origin, say. Yeah. Better than having a whole bunch of smaller sticks, you can Better than field cover blocks, more ground correct. with a regional block. And nitrous oxide has become more available to doctors' offices. Laughing it. gas. Correct. And <laughs> this is something that the patient administers to themselves. And while they're in that twilight state, they don't really remember much of that. And then yeah. their breathing never stops. They're always maintaining oxygenation. And as they wake up again, they can always give themselves more nitrous oxide if they have to. Yeah, I I really love this concept. You know, the trade name is Pronox, but I love how it works because, as you say, the patient holds the mask up to their face, and so they're breathing in the nitrous oxide. And as it starts to take effect, their muscles relax and their hand falls away from their face, so they're not getting an overdose And you can do what you need to do while they are anesthetized. And when they start to come out of it, as you say, they realize they're coming out of it, and they put the mask right back up to their own face. And I just think that's such a brilliant concept and so effective. So It sounds very simple to do, and it is effective. If I was a younger surgeon, I would definitely have it in my office. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And what about oral medication? certain medications that patients, in addition to the local numbing medicine, they can take oral medicine to kind of relax them? That's correct. Give them a little head start? Our routine is to use Ativan or lorazepam. And again, the dosage is dependent on their lifestyles. If they drink a lot of alcohol, they get more. If they're old, Uh, they get less. They need a little more, huh? (laughs) And if they have a pain pill that they want to take with it, they can. Some doctors use Ah. Ambien, a sleeping pill with Ativan and or narcotics and can get these patients quite sedated. Yeah. Um, 
with that. So you're in that happy place. Um, Sleeping place, if it's ideal. Yeah, this, yeah, and then the numbing medicine can be administered, and then you can do the procedure relatively painlessly for the patient, which is fantastic. As we're talking about this, some of the listeners may be wondering, okay, it sounds great doing some of these procedures in the office and streamlining things both for the patient and the surgeon, but what about safety? And I do know that that is an issue that is periodically looked at. In fact, you know, just a few years ago, there was a nice article published in the Aesthetic Journal, really confirming safety of procedures in an accredited facility, as long as the patient doesn't have complicated medical history or other significant problems. Has that been your concept as well, that this is relatively safe as long as the patient is properly screened, so to speak? Well, when procedures are done in the office under local the risks are very, very few. The only major concern would be if they had a very bad heart because you are going to be using some epinephrine within your injections and that may create some tachycardia and mild hypertension, but that would be the biggest risk otherwise that uh, I would be concerned about. Yeah. Local allows you to do almost anything that the patient can tolerate under those mm-hmm. situations. Yeah, it's got a broad usefulness. Well, these days I wonder what types of surgeries, specific surgeries or procedures are amenable to being done in the office, whether you yourself have chosen to do them in your particular practice or not. Well, when I say office, I'm talking about surgeries that are done with just oral sedation and local anesthetic. We're not talking Mm -hmm. about uh, IV sedation. But the procedures that we can do in the office under local start from browless to eyelid surgery, both upper and lower blepharoplasties. Uh, I'm sure you could do a small rhinoplasty if you had to, but you know I don't do rhinoplasties anymore. Small otoplasties can be done. So ear surgery. Ear surgery. Facelifts, mini facelifts, and even uh, corset platysmoplasties or neck lifts can be mm-hmm. done. And these are all well tolerated by our patients. Yeah. Then when you get down into the, the chest, Benelli mastopexies. Meaning breast lifts. Breast lifts, yeah. correct. Where the incisions just around the nipple can be done. Yeah. Or smaller yeah. lollipop oh. mastopexies can be done as well. Implant removal, very simple. We keep our costs down for our patients because we, I just have this feeling that as a plastic surgeon, we put these implants in them, and if they want to get them out, we should facilitate that for them too and not yeah. be charging thousands of dollars to take an implant out. Yeah, really nice to keep that cost down for them. So full-face lasers or lasers in parts of the face. Right. Liposuction. We use tumescent liposuction, which allows for injection of an anesthetic solution into the skin to provide a long-term anesthesia. And for smaller areas, it's very easy to do this in the office. Now, if I was going to do a whole person, no, I would opt for the operating room. And, and hey, liposuction, top procedure in the recent 2022 statistics well, that came out in terms of popular And those, those Sonobella um, franchises are all liposuction at the local. That's what oh, they are. Oh, yes, right. right. But uh, other things that we can do, like a mini tummy tuck where the dissection ends at the belly button, no higher. Yeah. But yeah. doctors who have IV sedation do these under local with IV sedation and, and do mm-hmm. a complete tummy tuck. Mm-hmm. Gynecomastia surgeries for guys who have enlarged breast breasts. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
we can do smaller ones in the office. And then nice. also fat grafting, yeah, labiaplasty and genital re rejuvenation, and inferior poke placations on breasts. So this is where breasts get bottomed out or they get bottom heavy and we shorten the distance between the nipple and the chest wall. Basically mm -hmm. rejuvenating the breast with a real simple procedure in the office. Yeah, I mean, it's a full gamut of things that can be actually done in the office with, you know, oral sedation and numbing medicine. It's quite impressive. And I know you're doing all cosmetic surgery in your practice right now, but for those who are doing reconstructive procedures in their practice, lots of things can be done in the office with, you know, skin cancers and skin lesions. Even skin grafts can be done in the office. Mm-hmm. Even minor hand surgeries, carpal tunnel release, ganglion excision, all that kind of stuff. I used to do my cases in an outpatient surgery center preferentially, but I do have colleagues who would do their procedures in the office, and patients would do quite well. Trigger fingers is another one, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Trigger finger in the office. You know, I'm curious, should a potential patient who is listening right now be concerned if say they go to one surgeon and that surgeon recommends that the procedure be done in a formal operating room while another surgeon tells them, oh no, they would do this in the office. What should a patient think when they hear two different points of view? Well, they should certainly question the surgeon as to why they're choosing a certain operating room theater mm -hmm. and find out what their motivations are for doing it in their certain settings. But if a surgeon says they can do it in an outpatient setting, it'd be nice to talk to their patients who may have had surgeries there before because you want to find out how comfortable it was for them as, yeah. you know, some surgeons are better than others at uh, making people feel relaxed and, and, and at, at ease. ease. Yep. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if a surgeon truly says he or she can do it in the office, nothing to be suspect or concerned about because, you know, their experience allows them to do those procedures. The biggest savings, though, is it should save you a lot of money because you're not going to the operating room. Now, if their costs are the same, I would have more questions for the surgeon who says they do it in the office. Yeah, interesting. Well, and a lot of it probably comes down to the comfort level of both the surgeon and the patient, I would imagine, too. Are there some types of surgeries that you think should be restricted to a formal operating room setting? Well, any procedure that involves use of an implant mm -hmm. should be in a formal operating room setting because the sterility is certainly more protected in that environment. Whereas in an office setting, no, it's not. But we do yeah. procedures that the infection rates are low or, or non-existent and not as concerned about sterility as we would be with placing an implant, like a breast implant. Sure. That makes sense. And... Might you ever have to recommend a case not be done in the office, even if a patient is asking for it to be done in the office, whether it's due to the patient's medical history or other issues? Things that we would dissuade the person from doing things in the office, there are patients who go to the dentist and they can never get numb. So local oh, anesthetics don't yeah. work on them. Yeah. There are patients who cannot lay still for three to five hours because some procedures take that long. Yeah. And if they can't do that, well... Well, we can't do that in the office. And finally, there's a patient whose bladder doesn't hold them for three hours or more. Yeah. They either go to the operating room or they agree to have a Foley catheter put in the office. And that's how we would deal with that. And then, as you mentioned before, people with cardiac history and things like that, maybe 
should be steered away from procedures in the office? or If they have a, a really bad cardiac history, it depends on what kind of magnitude the procedure is. Because in general, you know, procedures in the local are certainly safer than procedures under general anesthesia. So it really depends on what you're planning on doing, how much local you're expecting to need. You know, there is a limit on how much local you can get injected at one setting. So all those things have to be taken into consideration as to determining whether you're a good candidate for the office or where they should go to the operating room. Now, someone who is horribly afraid of needles, they're better in the operating room. I can't diminish the needle phobia in the office with just an oral pill. Yeah, You need more than just that. Well, I'm glad you brought up the issue about a limit to how much local anesthetic you can safely administer, because that is a big factor. If you're trying to do something rather ambitious in the office that is going to take a lot of numbing medicine, you may not be able to safely do it if you have to put a lot of numbing medicine in. As surgeons, we determine how much numbing medicine a patient can tolerate, their body can tolerate safely, and that depends on their weight and other factors, properties related to the numbing medicine itself, but there is a limit, so that's a really good point to bring up. Well, the the nice thing about local is that it comes in all these different strengths. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing a petite person, you're using the weakest strength, the half percent strength, whereas if you're doing someone who's much bigger and you're not going to use that much, you can use a 2% strength. So, you know, you want to individualize what you're going to use for the person, depending on, like you said, how big they are, because it does make a difference. Mm -hmm. The last thing you want to do is induce a local toxicity on a patient while they're having a procedure in your office. Right. That's not a good situation for anybody, the surgeon (laughs) or the patient. (laughs) No, it's not. Well, I'm curious what you may see on the horizon. Any medical advances you'd love to see, but perhaps are not even here yet, that could make surgery in the office a little more streamlined while still remaining safe? You know, in the operating room, surgeons get into their habits. And as long as they have their routines down and it goes that way, it almost goes perfect. Yes, we like that. (laughs) I can't think of a technology that would change what we do for the most part. I mean, when I look at the tools we used from when we were trained to today, Mm -hmm. hardly anything has changed. It's the basics, a knife, a blood, scissors, you know, forceps, and that's it. I mean, most of our procedures are are done with these simple things. Everything is still you, your hands to your tools and getting it done. Expediently, yeah. Well, I can't argue with that. Well, Dr. Curtis Wong, you've just been so informative and helpful here explaining some things for our listeners. I really appreciate that. Do you have any final thoughts about our topic or about plastic surgery in general that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Well, if I have one thing to say is do your homework when choosing your surgeon. The surgeon with the greatest social media presence may not be the best skilled or compassionate surgeon around. And in fact, could be a below average surgeon who's just great with social media skills. Reputations and word on the street are certainly, in my opinion, much more valuable than a high quality social media page. Ask your surgeons to see where the procedures will be done, if considering the private operating room or procedure room, and know what happens if your procedure doesn't deliver what was promised. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of technologies out there, and... You know, since I don't have every tool in the toolbox that's out there, 
I tell these patients to certainly go check elsewhere to see if somebody else can give them what they want using a technology. But whenever using a technology, you should also always get a plan from that surgeon because if it doesn't work, what are they going to do for you? Are they going to give you another treatment for free or at cost or will they roll over some of the money you spent? And it's, we're not talking small dollars here. We're talking thousands. Are they willing to roll yeah. over parts of that into now a formal surgical procedure that is needed to produce the results that you were hoping for? All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I know the listeners really appreciate it, too. Great being here, Regina. Take care. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something, too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.